G'day everybody and welcome to another bloody movie podcast. I am Sean Coates. Thank you so much for listening in today and joining me once again for kind of the second half of this episode because um, as you'll hear from the end of the first episode, um, we were very, very tired uh, last episode and I'm really tired right now, but Eric Tisha, number one co-host, spiritual co-host, whatever oh, you want to call him. number one now. Well, you always have been. You've oh. been on. You've been on more than half the episodes. Uh, but I thought that uh, the podcaster, no, the YouTuber from Sydney, uh, dethroned yeah, that, me. Yeah, no, that's the best episode oh, best I've episode. done. You're oh, still okay. the. I'm still best host. Mm, oh, well, thank goodness. Well, for you're that. closer. <laughs> so all these, uh, all these podcasts I've recorded have uh, haven't just been for nothing. Then no, absolutely not. Mm. You can put put this on your resume. <laughs> It'll get you absolutely nowhere. But um, just a quick announcement before we get into the, all of this stuff, or just a quick thank you from me. Um, recently on SoundCloud and I guess everywhere else, uh, collectively another bloody movie podcast just hit over a thousand plays. So mm. for anyone who has listened so far, and if you're listening to this right now, thank you so much for letting me rabble on about movies into your ear holes every now and then. I love doing this. Mm. This is a great outlet for me to talk about movies. I wish I could do it a lot more. And hopefully I'll get media accreditation at MIF. And uh, I'll do a lot more when the Melbourne International Film Festival is on. And hopefully Eric gets to see some films too. I'd love to join you at MIF, Sean. Um, There's plenty of films that would tickle my fancy that Mm. would be playing at MIF. Well, the program is out in two weeks' time. Mm. We have seen a few of the films that have been announced. And a few of which I saw at the Sydney Film Festival to bring this all back around. So last week we talked, well, not last week, we recorded that episode about two or three weeks ago. (laughs) But so Eric, Anton and myself, we talked about uh, one of the films at the uh, Sydney Film Festival that somehow all three of us saw, even though I was the only one that saw it at the festival. Now we're going to talk about, Eric and myself are going to talk about the rest of the films that I saw at the Sydney Film Festival, mm. which um, in the time in the times between recordings, Eric, um, some of them have got their theatrical releases here in Australia, and Eric and I both saw, re- well, I rewatched, and Eric saw for the first time a couple of them today. Mm. So we're going to begin with those films, and... Um, I discussed this when Adele was on my show, but we want to talk briefly about Upgrade, which we saw today. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. What a fun film Upgrade was. Mm, absolutely. Uh, fantastic. I mean, for a film that was made on a budget of $3 million, I'm re- genuinely impressed because I thought that that was def- easy double digits, millions. But that's just low single digits. And uh, they they really did uh, manage to create a, a highly convincing um uh, universe, uh, science fiction universe that uh, didn't feel uh, too cheap. Is it still very lo-fi, but still very uh, convincing or authentic? Mm, it was. I found it was cool as well because the film was shot in our new hometown of Melbourne, <laughs> and just to see like a lot of the establishing shots, you can tell that it is the city of Melbourne, but yeah. they've added little bits and pieces like to make it look more futuristic, yeah, which like I really CGI thought. editing to change the, s- the look of the sci- skyscrapers, and what what was uh, rather funny was to watch a, a chase scene on the uh, the outer Hume Highway, yeah, <laughs> where, we, where we can see where the big blue poles are, the big yeah. blue poles. And uh, they're driving on the uh, wrong side of the road for yeah, reference that, that, to us. <laughs> that made me. That was really. F- that made me so frustrated <laughs> watching that in the cinema. Oh, it's very look. strange to watch. But I'm just wondering. Look, and people can easily correct me on this, and I could easily just look this up online. But that would be really hard to film 
on because that's a very busy oh, motorway. It's a, it's a busy motorway. That's 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 one of I'm the main entrances to get into Melbourne. Yeah, but I'm wondering, did they actually film that there, or did they just do the location? Because like, it looks like it was filmed there, and I'm guessing if they had that little of a budget, it probably was. Mm. So. I'm not sure, but... They, I would assume that they would have filmed there. I mean, considering that it's at night, they probably filmed on a Sunday or something. Yeah, on a day that was just really... The highway was really quiet. And they probably filmed it at like 4am too. Yeah. Like when it's not very busy, yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming that's what happened. It would have sucked for anyone that wanted to try and enter Melbourne, just to be told, <laughs> yeah, sorry, you're going to have to take another route because we're shooting a movie here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, it, it, it held up second time around, mm. and it was, and part of my uh, the joy of me going to see this again and seeing it with Eric <laughs> was just to see how he reacted to certain scenes. Oh yes, because as Adele said on the uh, podcast when she was on, when uh, she saw it, when the amazing first action scene happens and a very <laughs> gruesome and violent death happens, Adele went like head in her hands into her knees, screaming. <laughs> And Eric, not quite the same response, but like he, I heard a similar <laughs> coming from Eric's direction. So it was a laugh of a, it was a laugh of immense joy. I'll just say it was a <laughs> quite glorious just to see uh, this crazy gore guy get his like his head almost uh, decapitated, half decapitated. Mm, it, was, it was. Would you say that was jaw dropping? Oh, quite jaw dropping, quite literally. And a, a nice little nod to Saw as well. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> if you're a big fan of reverse bear trap, you would probably like this death. Mm, speaking of nods to Saw, I noticed um, when they're looking at like all of the names of oh, like one yeah. of the lifts on the buildings and there's a name J1 mm. there. Nice little nod. Yeah, nice little nod there as well. Mm. But yes, the, the, the kills were spectacular. Like, uh, what was mm. it? Used sparingly. But they are when they happen. Oh, yeah. they are spectacular, and I guess that kind of makes them all well, the more special. They have a lot of impact because they're rather they're quite brutal and they're and they're, they're they're quite minimal as well. There's there's not many. Uh, this is a low body count action film, surprisingly. Um, so yeah, when you when you see the deaths, they do they do uh, pack quite a punch, and uh, they are quite spectacular with heads being exploded and people falling on. Large sharp gla- uh, shards of glass, yeah, all sorts of crazy gore, lots yeah. of head explosions. Actually, so, <laughs> something that um, I forgot to mention when I talked about this on a previous episode, um, there was the there's the, one of the big things is the villains of this film have like guns, yeah. like surgically implanted into their arms. Yeah. Now, what I was thinking, now Logan Marshall Green, Tom Hardy's doppelganger, like seriously, it's insane. How much mm. those two look alike, and but so there's a scene where after one of them, so after one of their one of these goons dies, I so desperately wanted Tom. I'm saying I almost said Tom Hardy. I really wanted him just to, American Hardy. Yeah, Amer- Tom Hardy's American cousin. I wanted him to rip off one of these guys' arms and just go on a shooting spree. Oh, that would with have been the fantastic. Arm. That would have been cool. That would have been hilarious. No points off to the movie for that, but it just that would have gained a lot of points for me. A plus if the movie. I mean, did it would that. have made the film much more enjoyable. Uh, mm. But it was already a very enjoyable film. I mean, there was that glorious kill where uh, one of these men that had the shot uh, the gun implant in their arm, uh, the uh, American Hardy broke the man's arm and shot his own fucking head off. <laughs> just made it explode. Oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was great. And I guess, like, this is essentially just a kind of schlocky B sci-fi yeah, film. Just, 
But towards the end, no spoilers, but man, this movie is a lot smarter than it ever oh, deserved yeah. to be. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even expect it. In, like, I, I sort of, I, I, like, you can easily see who the villain, uh, well, not mm. exactly who the villain is, but you can, you could, you can sort of see where it's going to lead off to. Mm. But when, when, <laughs> when it's it comes to the end, you, you really get misdirected or, yeah. It's kind of purposefully predictable in that fashion, but mm. then right at the last moment, they just flip it completely. It on just its does head. A, a 180 in a very Black Mirror esque ending. Mm. Not to spoil anything, well, but probably better better execution than in a Black Mirror episode, mm. I'd yeah. say. As soon as I walked out of this for the first time, I said that's the best Black Mirror episode that's <laughs> been made so far. Yeah, so you would d- like? I was so happy to watch this again. It was great. Saw oh, it at the Nova. Nova, great crowd at the Nova too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was actually people. People were going crazy with with some of the kills. Uh, lots of sighs and, lo- and sort mm. of sickening laughter, I guess. Uh, the The action scenes I thought were quite uh, well shot. Um, some of the editing's a bit strange. The mm. the, the the choice of angles that they they choose to insert, but I like I like the movement. It's it, it's much more impressive than just. Uh, the Bourne series shaky cam, which yeah. I'm not a huge fan of in fight scenes. I like how the the camera moves with the movement of the of the yep. arms of the combatants when they're uh, punching each other. It's yeah. very stylish. It's very fun. It sort of reminds me of old kung fu films. Mm. I guess like I've seen some complaints, and like I kind of felt this way, but it's kind of purposeful that some of the action is a little stiff. And a bit robotic, but mm. I guess that's purposefully so. Oh, I'm not talking so about the choreography. Yeah, yeah, the choreography I, 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 is fine. I'm just I'm talking about like the mm. the choice of like cutting to a certain angle. Like mm. honestly, if if they would if it was just like a long lateral long take with just the camera move, oh, it would have been fantastic. This would have been like one of the coolest things to watch. It'd be like watching. Um, it would have looked even more robotic. It, it would have felt like that uh, hallway fight scene in Old Boy, but with just like two dudes be uh, just smashing out, and the camera just going crazy, moving with the movements of their fists. Mm. I think it was most impressive when he kept when he did the double backflip, and the camera followed oh, him yeah. throughout that. That was awesome. Well, there was a really cool transition uh, uh, that I quite liked in the film, where uh, it looks like um, yeah, the camera's like, spinning around. Yeah, the camera's spinning around on a Ferris wheel. Yeah, and, and then revolves with the crime scene twice, and then it changes over to the um, dissolves to the. Um, it's pretty seamless, though. Uh, it's very seamless, actually. Um, it just transitions to a uh, what was it, the hospital bedroom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I reckon this is probably one of the better Australian films because this is technically an Australian film, like Australian. Yeah, I guess it Australian is. crew, mostly Australian cast, Australian director, shot here in Melbourne. Yeah, but it's not being marketed as that at all, is it? No. Like it reminds me of Predestination a lot in that kind of way, and I swear that like there's a staircase that's used in this film that is the exact same staircase that is used in Predestination. Mm. I swear to God, because that was also shot in Melbourne. But yeah, but I, this just kind of proves that like low budget science fiction and low budget Australian science fiction in films like Predestination. Yeah, I mean, it could it could work in Melbourne, and Melbourne such is a city with such diverse architecture that yes. you can sort of sell it off as being set anywhere so yeah like any kind like of futuristic city yeah yeah mm. so i would definitely rec- I, i'm absolutely recommend this film if you have not seen this film yet please go see it oh i'd recommend it it's a great popcorn flick if you if you enjoy some crazy action mm. uh next film that we saw actually we saw that one second the first film which i also got to see at the sydney film festival and watch for the second time today it was my most anticipated film mm. of the sydney film festival after i heard the 
amazing buzz out of Venice for this film. Mm. Uh, the Israeli film Foxtrot. Mm, I Foxtrot was quite quite a great film, I thought. Yep. Um, uh, it was actually a lot better than I expected, especially the the camera work. I really quite admired, and also the the the, the narrative structure. I thought oh, I wouldn't have actually expected the film to have much diversity in locations and ch- jumps in time. Mm. So uh, it was much different to what I originally anticipated and much more enjoyable too, I found as well. Um, Should we... I'm not sure if too many people know about the plot for this film, but I think it's probably better if you... Do, had you watched the trailer or like... Did you know uh, much about it at I, all? No, I didn't know anything, okay, to be well, honest. I only saw like stills and stuff. Okay. And well, I, I don't I really want to say... it was a war film. I just don't really want to say anything about the plot, but let's just say the film opens when uh, two army guys knock on the door of these two parents... of the, Of these parents... Their home. Yeah, their, their parents' house and, let the, and inform them that their son has been killed in action. Mm. And then things kind of spiral out of control yeah. from there. And this is easily the best film I've seen of 2018 so far. Oh, I think definitely. this film is close to perfection, this in all honesty. This film has excellent second act. I mean, it, it, what's, what's, what's really fantastic is that it's sort of like a three-act structure film. But uh, what I really like is that it's it's not just three acts for the same characters. The second act is just completely different from the first. The the first act and the third act seem to um, draw like uh, well they they use the same cast and location, but they sort of draw <coughs> connections between each other quite clearly. The f- the first act is kind of like a really really great little one act play mm. in a way. Well, it's a it's very all like interesting study on grief, but mm. I mean, this third act is an even greater study on the on the topic. Well, you me- you mentioned the camera work in there. There's a lot of like bird's eye is b- a b- like shots yeah. from a bird's eye view. A lot oh. of people tend to avoid those yeah. in film, but I think this film just does it so it's some of the so best bird, well. bird's eye view shots, and it's not just that's just some of the there's there's a lot of oh, I forgot what the camera movies, but it's sort of like the glass. The glass box, the camera floats up. There's this very interesting camera trick where it's just showing like uh, uh, one set of guards in uh, changing posts, and the the, mm. the camera floats up, but then it goes bird's eye view. Yeah, and, and it moves, and it moves forwards, and then it then it like turns uh, upwards. It's I mean it's, it's some it's some very very intricate camera work right mm. there that looks very aesthetically pleasing this film this film also has that very intricate camera work but there's also just very so many static shots that just are just oh, ex- yeah. these extended static takes i mean what's that what's so brilliant about the location where, where the second part takes place that uh, most, it looks like hell it's hell the where the pretty much it's they well, you can say it looks like hell, looks like purgatory to me. To yeah, be purga- honest, yeah, or purgatory. I yeah. mean, it's just like they're just out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yep. And at at night, that's where the um, that's that's where uh, a, a particular character, the, the perspective um, takes place. He's, he usually does night shift, and mm. my god, it's just it's just blackness everywhere. It was just this, yep. with a couple of lights, just lighting the position of where right. the soldiers are. Oh, we might as well, we've gone into it a little bit, so we might as well explain. So the first act of this movie is the it, people, people from uh, members of the Israeli military knock on the door of this family to let them know that their son has been killed in action. Mm. The second act shows the son at his military post, which as Eric prefaced, is in the middle of buttfuck nowhere. Yeah. 
And they're pretty much just guarding this gate. They're just guarding this Yeah, like a supply trail. And like there's like three cars and the occasional camel come along. Mm. And there's, yeah, bugger all the do out there. Yeah, I mean, not they don't get any action at all. They just, they just do a lot of fucking around. And the shipping container they live in is sinking into oh, the ground, yeah. which is <laughs> horrifying. Yeah, I mean, it'd be. It, it, they don't seem to care much about the sinking container. They, I mean, they could do something about it, but they just can't be bothered. Their living conditions so shit. It's like they're just sinking in this like hole of boredom or despair, just being out in like goddamn purgatory post. Mm. What I also found about this film, like it's, <coughs> it's kind of brutal at points, like and really, mm. really, almost yeah, really tragic. But there's also some great little moments of just like comedy. That are, that's oh, like put yeah. in there, but then the film does a 180 on that and then makes you like, holy fuck, why the hell did I laugh at that? That's fucked up. Yeah. I yeah, felt yeah. in that kind no, of I way. I mean, the way that plays with humour and dramas is, is quite great. This is a film that uh, that are, are really appreciated director that can just handle tone transitions very well. Because, mm. I mean, the, the, the transition from the, the first act to the second act is just... Oh, brilliant mm. you have the father just going just having what uh a break yeah like a, just a, like a mental breakdown people thinking he's having an anxiety attack he's going crazy um he's, he's he's very aggressive he's very pissed off and then it cuts to his son and he's and he's just he lets a camel go through the the pass and then he grabs his gun and he starts dancing he's that's, just like this is how you that's do the not the son spot. though that's the thing that's weird that's those two guys that you see at the beginning you never see oh, those no, guys sorry, ever again. Oh no, sorry, that's not the son. That's someone. That's some other guy. Oh, my mm. bad. Which, if it, as I said before, there are there are two sets of guards, and they they interchange. So that's the that's a set of guards that we don't actually get the perspective from. Uh, mm. Uh, but yeah, you see this guard just grab his gun and he's just doing the foxtrot dance. Oh, oh it's, it's incredible! It's the, I and mean, it's all <laughs> it's all over the trailers and the poster and everything that sequence. But it is. A weird oh, I mean, thing I to never. I, I, I mean, I saw. I mean, I saw the the. Uh, I saw steals. I never actually. You, saw you the didn't footage. see any. I of never the saw the footage of that. So I was like, but I mean, with the context, <laughs> it was just incredible. I was like, oh my god, this is awesome. And just as soldiers, just like this is the foxtrot. And he starts dancing. I with his gun, and it's like his movements are sort of in sync with the with the sound of the of the track that's being played. Mm. I find that, and if anyone doesn't know, this is an Israeli film, and mm. it's it's in it's an Israeli, German, Swiss, and French co-production. And mm. I think you noticed that some of the films. Oh, in German. the grandmother spoke German. Yeah. So yeah, this is a film that's mostly in Hebrew. There's a bit in German, and I'm mm. sure there's a bit in French or something as well. Mm. But um, I always find that when I watch foreign films, I can't. I I find it hard to tell if performances are good or not. Because yeah, I don't know, yeah, yeah. like I don't know the language and I don't know if they're but here the the parents especially in this film mm. they're fantastic oh they're fantastic uh, especially the father who you pointed out looks like an Israeli Steve Carell yeah it's really bizarre looks like an aged Israeli Steve Carell <laughs> I believe his name is Leor Ashkenazi and he is just excellent in this oh, film yeah. I mean him him and uh, his co-star's wife mm. are excellent yeah well, her name has to be mentioned too Sarah Adler is her name mm. she's brilliant in the last act um, yeah, she's absolutely she is absolutely just devastated with the with the outcome of what happens mm. uh, we won't say but what, what sort of happens at the end of the film they sort of cut to the future Um with that act, but something terrible happens in the mm. past that they, 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 they don't just uh, abruptly 
mention, but they they but you you end up gathering enough information from the behaviours of of both uh, the the parents. You you, you de- develop an idea of what happened uh, quite quickly, and then you're just like, oh goodness, this is a uh, this is rather terrible for uh, this scenario to have actually have happened. <laughs> hmm. It's uh, it's quite uh, they they quite they have great chemistry they play off each other quite well. I also love the father um, when everyone is like because the the military guys and the doctors come in is like drink water like drink yeah. some water every <laughs> and like everyone is shoving it in his face and mm. then the, as soon you can tell oh, he's about that's to snap, when, when the, that when one the, soldier it's it's yeah, so the little funny. The, the, the woman the yeah. woman's like drink and then he it's grabs just, it throws it's it on really the ground because it just looks like a. It's, it's it's so comedic because it looks like it's just such an awkward shot. That yeah. <laughs> that's why it's so funny. He's like centered. It's something that you'd see in like a like I don't like know a comedy or something like a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, the best yeah. example I, I can come up with at this point. There's probably better examples, but it's like it's just like that. Just like this sort of centered uh, frame or in Anderson's case usually slightly off centered. But yeah, it just cuts to her in open space. Like here's some water, mm. <laughs> and he's just like oh, I don't. Just smash the glass. Oh, I don't need some water. I don't need water. I don't need to drink every hour. All, all he needs is just to be left alone for a bit. Yeah. So yeah, this is the only like I don't really Which like to rate films that much, but like this is the first and possibly I don't know. This is the first five star film I've seen this year. Oh, it's great. I mean, going back to the the bird's eye view shots, there's a brilliant shot where the father's in a bathroom. And it looks like he's just trapped mm. in a box, and he's just yeah. walking around the. And what you? What, yeah, sorry, you continue. Sorry. Oh, well, sorry. What were you going to say? I was going to say the scene that happens after that. It's just just the static shot oh, of him yeah. on, like, just sitting on the closed toilet, just cro- like about like screaming, yeah, like, with his mouth muffled. Well, there's, there's a lot and of great extreme close-up static shots where it's just the character, just, just, just their face movements. Um, mm. s- a lot of um, gesturing, just no, no, not they're moving out of frame or anything. It's just that static shot, just they're moving within that frame, just yeah. minutes. But yeah, this next shot where he's ho- like, what he's he's there, he's holding his hand under the sink, mm. and then it's after a while, you're like, what's he doing? And then you see steam starting to come yeah. from the bottom left corner of the frame, mm. and then you're like, ah, shit. Okay, <laughs> this is a. This is a really tough depiction of grief to mm. be to put in your film, but it was really powerful. Mm. No, it was a great film. Fox Absolutely. Truck. I mean, the only the, the only fantastic. thing that I was really annoyed with was uh, just the very end. The yeah. very end, but I'm not going to explain why. But if you're not a big fan of how sort of like crash scenarios are sort of uh, shown in, in in film, sort of like the 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 old there's an object in the middle of the road. What do you do? Might be a bit annoyed with this, but other than that, it was, it was fantastic. Mm. Uh, I want to say this is the second time I've seen this film. Uh, this will probably be my favorite film of this year, even though it's technically a 2017 film. Mm. By the way, look, I I didn't see too many of the uh, best foreign language feature nominees last year. Mm. Actually, no. Now that I think about it, I didn't see any. But how did this miss out? Yeah, I'm surprised actually, because uh, I thought this was a very strong. F- but then, uh, then again, there are a lot of other films that could have been in place of the, the selection they had for last year. It, well, I mean, who cares what the com- Academy thinks? I just pick. Yeah, I know. They pick the really safe, uh, more commercial films. Yeah, I, I mean, another thing to consider is: Did Foxtrot do well in the California? 
region. I don't know. But it, it, was released, sure. it was released after the Oscars, I think. Well, that's if it was thing. released after the Oscars, that's, it, it, could, it could possibly be a contender for this next year's Oscars. Could, uh, I don't know, because it, the, the ske- it's a bit different how they schedule and the, like, the eligibility for foreign language films than it is. It, it doesn't have to come out in within the calendar year of 2017, oh, I think. Right. It's, it's, they've got a different calendar to what the uh, American films do. But yeah, this film is as close to perfect as a film that I've seen this year. So if it's playing near you or if it's probably nearly out on digital or Blu-ray or wherever, please watch this. Oh yeah, definitely give it a watch. It's probably the strongest thing that I've seen that came out this year. Uh, Anyway, or probably if I were to pit it against the films I saw last year, it's a very strong contender too. It's a very good film. All right. So now we're going to get into a bunch of films that Eric has not seen and the remaining seven seven films that I saw at the Sydney Film Festival. And the first one, which we got to see a trailer for before Upgrade, is oh, yeah. uh, the New Zealand comedy The Breaker Upperers. Mm. So The Breaker Upperers, as I've said, is a New Zealand comedy and this was actually the opening night film of the Sydney Film Festival. And uh, so, yeah, as, as I just said, uh, we saw a trailer for this before we saw Upgrade. And uh, what, were your, what were your thoughts from the trailer? Was it the first time you'd watched it? Uh, yes, yeah, the first time I saw it, any footage of the film. It looks like a fun, light-hearted film. Probably not the kind of uh, comedy that I'd be into. Uh, but the the two look like they have great chemistry, mm. and uh, what's what's uh, quite nice is that they've also got assistance from uh, Taika Waititi yep. on this film. Yep. So, so her, his company, Picky Films, I believe, mm. or like it's he, he he's one of the people who run the company, and it's a bunch of other New Zealand filmmakers that are involved. Would, would they be using some of the people he uses making his films? Because it sort yep. of resembles like a Taika Waititi film in presentation. Yeah, yeah. So um the the two filmmakers and the stars who wrote and directed it, um Jackie Van Beek and Madeline Sammy. Mm. Uh, Jackie Van Beek was actually in What We Do with the Shadows. She played Jackie, who I believe was Jermaine Clement's assistant. Oh, yeah. The one that wants to be a vampire, or the mm. the familiars, I think they call mm. them. Yeah, she was really funny in that, too. And mm. I'm not quite sure. I think Madeline Sammy's worked with her, with, with, with Teddy a fair bit, too. And I think she's. I think they both have sketch comedy backgrounds, I believe. Mm. But yeah, they work really well here. So the basic premise of the Breaker Operas is there are these two women who were both uh, cheated on by the same person with each other. And... Uh, they basically become best friends after that and they become just absolute cynics when it comes to <laughs> love, life and dating. So mm. they create this agency called the Breaker Uppers where people pay them to break up their un- to break up their unhappy relationships. And yeah, this film is really, really funny. Um, yeah, their chemistry, as you'd expect, is fantastic. Uh, they're both the the humour is very sharp too. Mm. Um, a lot of the um, best moments of this film as well are just um scenes in which they are arguing and then people around them just are like trying to get a word in <laughs> so like people are like these two arguing and then the people acting around them like there's um a great cameo and i think it's in the trailer as well from a new zealand stand-up comedian uh rose matafeo um as a checkout operator mm. and yeah she she's great in that scene and there's there's a lot of really good cameos in here too um speaking of what we do in the shadows jermaine clement has an excellent cameo in this film too which is hilarious <laughs> And this film as well, like it is, at the end of the day, it's about friendship as well. And it's, it's, it's funny. It's got a lot of heart to it. Really well made too. Um, I wish I had um, got to go to the extended Q&A with Van Beek and Sammy because uh, when they introduced the film, 
they were really funny and like <laughs> I was like as soon as I saw the introduction I'm like yeah I know I'm in for a good time here and they seem like two charismatic women mm. and they made a really really solid comedy that's really really funny uh, this comes out in Australia on uh, July 26th it, that's when it gets its national release date uh, distributed by Madman Films so and I think uh, around Melbourne there are going to be uh, like uh, like advanced screenings where Van Beek and Sammy will be doing like Q and A's and like introducing the film. So if you can get along to one of those screenings, and I think they're doing it all around the country as well. So get to one of those screenings, please see this movie. It's a great little film. Mm. Uh, the Breaker Uppers, watch it. Mm. Uh, next up, uh, what I saw another well, Breaker Uppers is an Australian film, but this was a film that uh, Adele, uh, previous guest, uh, convinced me to see because. Um, this is a documentary called I Used to Be Normal, A Boy Band Fangirl Experience. Now, just from that title alone, me being a 20-year-old person that hates everything, of course I have no interest in boy bands whatsoever. But the thing with a good documentary is it can take something you don't give a fuck about, make that compelling and interesting and entertaining. So that's what good documentaries yeah. do. So... I was hoping that it would be do that this I used to be normal would do that, and uh, Adele convinced me to see this film because uh, she funded this on Kickstarter and it was made by one of her friends. So yeah, um, Melbourne-based uh, documentarian Jessica Lesky uh, directed this film. So I used to be normal is a documentary that follows four different women uh, from all around the world, and it shows their undying passion and their love of different boy bands. So it follows this uh, 16-year-old girl in, I think, Long Island in the US uh, named Elif, who is obsessed with One Direction. And uh, it also shows uh, this, uh, 30, this 30, uh, a woman in her mid-30s from Sydney who was in love with Take That in the 90s. There's also another girl who's in, I think, California somewhere, I think San Francisco. Um, she was obsessed with the Backstreet Boys. And then they have a, a film producer here in Melbourne who is 64 years old and was like one of the biggest fans of the Beatles back when they were, you know, in their prime. Mm. And yeah, this doc. What I was saying about good documentaries, this documentary absolutely does it. Like, no, it it also helps that the people that they're interviewing are very charismatic and like well, they're passionate. They're very interesting. Mm. Uh, like, uh, how would you say? Oh, I was, I was going to say subjects. I guess subjects yeah. is fine. It doesn't yeah, sound so. too... And, yeah, the, the, their passion is quite extraordinary and, like, very... It, sometimes it, it borders, like, it borders on creepy. Like, it it, yeah. it will switch very rapidly from adorable to creepy very quickly, depending on certain Yeah, things. probably just have... Oh, come in with a broad mind, it seems. Yeah, <laughs> but then they also get into, like, it's... Like, the first half is more about, like, oh, their love of the boy bands, how they got into it, like, what makes, what is it about them that they love about them? But then it's also, like, the second act goes into more these four women and their personal life and, like, how their music, like, got them through tough times or, like, helped them or, like, have inspired them to do certain things. Like, um, the uh, girl, Alif, uh, who's obsessed with One Direction, who um, the film gets a title from because she was the subject of a viral video back in the early 2010s where, like, she was watching uh, a One Direction concert and was just breaking down. And the film gets its title because in this viral video, she screams, I used to be normal. 
So, yeah, so she is fr- uh, from a family of Turkish migrants and they have, like, pretty much planned out her whole life for her, you know, like, get straight A student, you got to be a straight A student, got to mm-hmm. go to med school, become a doctor, yada, yada. She doesn't want to do that. Like, One Direction has inspired her to, like, create her own music, learn to play guitar, and, like, she's really good at it. Like, they show a couple of her, like, covers on in the film and, yeah, she was really good, but, uh, yeah, so... Well, that's that's good that there was a positive outcome with the her fanatical sort of admiration for uh, whichever boy band it was that she fancied. Yeah, uh, one direction. What, yeah. yeah, what Th- is oh, probably really good with this uh, documentary is that um, not only that it has interesting subjects to interview, but you know, thinking of when you hear documentary and boy band, you know, you're thinking a documentary about the boy band. So this is more so mm. about the fans themselves. Yeah. So something which, that probably doesn't get a whole heap of coverage. Which I think is actually kind of more interesting too. Oh, probably be like much what it is about them, like what it is about the boy bands, like what attracts them towards their music. And I mean, it's obvious, like there's this really great moment where, um, I can't remember, I wish I could remember the subject's name, but it's the woman from Sydney that loves Take That. She draws up on a whiteboard, and I think it's in the trailer, so I might show you the trailer afterwards, but, like, it's the boy band formula, Mm. or, like, just notes, like, so, okay, there's in a boy band, there's usually, like, five members. You have the older brother, you have the hot one, you have this, you have this. (laughs) They usually have a half-life of about five years, and, like, this one will go into a solo career, this one won't, and all this (laughs) stuff. Like, it's great, and the formula is really really awesome mm. is it quite spot on to reality Pre- yeah pretty much i would and be surprised th- th- they seem highly mass yep. like uh old like highly produced not highly unnatural really yep just before because i i was surprised by how much i love this film uh, it's in my top 10 so far for this year oh, already really? yeah what? i really loved it and this film is playing at myth uh in august so Hopefully you can check it out. But um, the, a great thing happened at the uh, at the Q and A after the film. So uh, most of the subjects, the two Australian subjects of the film, were there, and like a majority of the crew and uh, were at the screening. And um, a great question came from someone in the Q and A because one of the things um, that this woman tells is that uh, when she was about thirteen or fourteen. Uh, take that were touring Australia. It was the, the only time, it was the first time ever coming to Australia and she begged her mum to buy her tickets and she didn't buy them on the basis that you, you're too young to go alone. You can go when they come back. You can go the next time they come. Mm. They broke up like three months after that tour <sighs> and she is like held that against her mother every single day since and, like, when they did their reunion tour, like, I think about four or five years ago, her mum bought her the tickets. Oh, look, that's good on her. there was this great moment in the Q&A where there was a question from one of the, like, right in the back of the cinema. It was like, did you ever forgive your mother for that terrible thing that she did by not buying you the tickets? Yeah. And then the subject at, at the front of the cinema is like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to my mum. <laughs> Oh, it was fantastic. Mm, that would have been a great moment to see. Mm, it's also just a really, really well done documentary too. Like all of the, it's filmed really well, and uh, like the the look of it too. It has this very kind of scrapbook look to it. Mm. 
like the, the opening credits is like made all like little scrapbooky and like all glittery and things like that, which I think was a really very fitting. Yeah, very fitting, matter. very kind of thematic touch to it, which I thought was really cool. Uh, yeah, it's a great little documentary. I used to be normal, a boy band fangirl experience. You do not have to be in a boy band or a fangirl or anything to like this film. This takes a very, it does what a great documentary does. Takes something that's extremely niche and gives it, makes it so entertaining and makes it appeal to everyone. Mm. Well, that's that's great because you you don't seem like the type that'd be interested in boy bands <laughs> at all. Absolutely not. You seem to be like the pol- You think the polar opposite of these uh, fanatic fans. Yeah, well, you and I, we lived through the One Direction and that fandom. So, like, yeah. not us personally. We didn't go through it, but we were around people. Like, we, we, we grew up in high school during that shit. Yeah. It was just weird. It was weird. And this was a very... The next film that I'm going to talk about, which I have ri- written a... Ri- which I have done a written review for, which will be on Movie Babble, hopefully by the time I uh, have put this episode up on the internet. Um, this film, I was on such a high after seeing uh, after seeing I Used to Be Normal. I was so happy. It was a great, feel-good documentary. And then straight afterwards, I went into this film, Piercing, <laughs> which is... Oh, wow. This um, I'd heard a lot about this film because this is adapted from a Ryu Murakami Hopefully I've pronounced that right. It's a novel from the person who wrote the novel to Audition. And early reviews for this film have compared it to Audition, like the Takashi Miike they, film were adaptation. Were they positive or negative comparisons? Yeah, uh, positive. I think it's... Well, it's very similar. And now that it's from the same author, it mm. makes a lot of sense. Which So, Piercing is essentially... It's essentially a love letter to 70s exploitation and, like, Italian giallo cinema. Mm. Like, a lot of the film score, like, it has this very chaotic piano score. Is it, like, is it piano or is it, like, synthetic piano? uh, No, it's all, like, orchestral piano music all throughout. And it's, I I think a lot of them are from, like, films from, like, from giallo films. Like, there's a lot of... Older older giallo probably would have used... uh, more orchestral. I, I was looking online and it uses music from the likes of like Bruno Nicolai and uh, Ennio Morricone and mm. uh, Goblin, like all those kinds of mm. uh, Italian composers who were very big. And this film is like a love letter to, you know, the, the exploitation, Italian exploitation filmmakers like, you know, Mario Bava or Dario and Dario Argento, yeah. like these kinds of guys. So Piercing is essentially a film about a man who has psychopathic tendencies. Uh, the film literally... Op- I don't consider this a spoiler, but the film literally opens with him standing over his his daughter's crib while she's sleeping, just staring very intensely at her, holding an ice pick in his hand, and <laughs> contemplating whether or not to murder his own child. Mm, so you think you know what you're getting in for. Well, that's a very with- strong opening right there. But so then a lot about the character. He opts out of that and finds, like, shit, I have to deal with this somehow. He creates a plan. He tells his wife he's going on a, in parentheses, business trip. So he he gets a hotel room and he cre- creates this plan to call an escort service and murder a prostitute. So this character, Reed, who is the, our lead, he's played by Christopher Abbott from uh, It Comes at Night. And uh, yeah, so he calls a prostitute and so he wants to murder her. But um, won't be quite as straightforward when a prostitute named Jackie, who's played by Australian actress Mia Wasikowska, shows up to their door. Mm. And it's pretty much a gr- great bit of 
What, this cat movie, and mouse? Yeah, cat and mouse. You don't know who's who's the hunter and who's the hunted. The, Do the, the roles switch? There is the constant balance and the shift of power. Like, the power struggle in this film is fascinating to watch. I, 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 I This is not my favourite film that I saw at the Sydney Film Festival so far. That, not so, that I saw at the Sydney Film Festival. That's Foxtrot. But this is the one that I have thought about the most after seeing it. Like, And I think this film does get better the more that I think about it. Mm. Because also just on a technical level, this film, it, it it's made to be like a film from the 70s oh, or the 80s. Brilliant. Like it begins with like an 80s VHS style. Like, and now for your feature presentation <laughs> with like all these like purple and like blue color palettes and like, you know, like chromey things that you see. You know, you know what I'm talking yeah, about, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, ev- even in that, it would look all grainy and shitty, which the rest of the movie doesn't do, which... Oh, that's a bit unfortunate. But I guess that could have been too gimmicky. I mean... Like, to make it well, look like... I don't know about too gi- Like, they could have shot it on film to have um, that a look, the grain. Uh, it kind of did. Like, it has a lot of aspects of... Do, do you know what it, if it was shot digitally? I had... I, 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 tr- I looked, I couldn't see. I, 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 in my research, I couldn't see if it was shot on film or not. But, like, it has a lot of aspects of, like paying homage to, like, the Jalo cinema. Would it have, like, sort of predatorial look in cinematography? Like mm, yeah. And there's also just the use of, like, this very deep red colour palette, like mm. uh, the use of miniatures in exterior shots, um, mm. the very bold yellow text in the opening credits, <laughs> the fact that it's very contained. Like, this is a very contained sort of erotic mm. thriller. Like, it's just this pretty much set in this one hotel room with just Mia Wasikowska and Christopher Abbott and it's i thought this movie was going to be violent like i specifically and intentionally went into this film on a completely empty stomach and usually for films um i like to sit as far like pretty far up to the front of the screen mm. but for this one knowing that or thinking that it was going to be very violent and very gory i went to as far back as the cinema as i possibly could <laughs> and went in on an empty stomach and Almost kind of disappointingly, this movie isn't that gory. Do you think it would have been better if it was more gory? Or? No, I don't think so, because here's why. When the gore and vis- when, when the gore does happen, it's great, it's visceral, it's, it's, it's fantastic, but it's the tension in this movie that really gets you. It's just someone just, as I said, it's like tightening a piano wire. They just keep <laughs> tightening it and tightening it and tightening it. When I think about it, if it's two characters that are facing off for, what is it, 90 minutes, possibly? Uh, 81. That's like, a good thing about this film. It's quite 81. short, and it's it does not waste you, a you, single you second. probably wouldn't want them to just flat out just completely maim each other. Oh, no, no, no. Expect them to just or horribly maim each other than expect them to just go on with the same, like, veracity. I, th- I think it's all the better for it. And something as well, like something that a lot of film reviewers and critics don't really talk about a lot is sound design. And for good reason too, because good sound design isn't meant to be noticed. Mm. But sometimes it's used stylistically and like how it is here in Piercing. And I think sound is incredibly, like it's it's half, I think sound, especially in some horror films, sound can be scarier than the actual visuals on screen. Oh, yeah. And that's what it's because Piercing is quite bloodless for a majority of the film, it is the sound that makes that makes this film as intense and as terrifying as it really is. And the sound design, there, there is a sequence in this film where I bet the Foley artist had an absolute field day because as soon as Reed gets to the hotel, to see how long his murder plan will take, he executes the entire plan by, like, miming it. 
<laughs> but every like all of the sound effects so are the there. Sounds, all the squishy stabs. Yeah, sounds. it is fantastic. <laughs> it is one of the best scenes of 2018 so far, and it's great. And also Christopher Abbott as well as I almost said Christopher Reeves, but because of Reed, mm. but um, he's very good. Like he's. Kind of looks like a lost puppy, puppy dog for this entire movie, but like he has this very raw intensity that he brings to this role, and he just looks like that he could. It's like almost like watching Michael Shannon in a film. Like you could just see he could snap at any point. You think he looks like the the killer? Sort of looks like a authentic serial killer in the sense that you would you would have a sort of uh, innocent look about him. Like yeah, some, something off with with just his appearance or his mm. behavior. And Mia Wasikowska is also very good, but I will say this: I I thought it was. Uh, bad acting on her part because her accent is very inconsistent in this movie. Sometimes she's using quite a flat American accent. Sometimes she's using her native Australian accent. Sometimes she's using a strange combination of both. And I think at one point, even a, a weird Russian accent. But here's the thing. Thinking about it more, I think it just adds to the mystery of her character. You really don't yeah, know. Could, could she possibly be like some sort of representation that could be like multiple victims or prostitutes? Kind of, maybe. It's switching between... I don't know if that was intended, but that could have been a Yeah, I, I don't know if it was intentional or not, too, but the more I think about it, I think it's it it, it adds more to the mystery of Mia Wasikowska's character mm. that you don't know who this oh, girl it, is. Actually, because it wouldn't be strange if she was an escort for her to put on, like, uh, sort of roles to pretend that she was, I don't know, Russian or American or something, if she was really Australian or whatnot. Mm. And, yeah, I, I just... The, the more I think about this movie, the more I like it. Um, I don't know when this... Because this is... This is the definition of a film festival. Like this is a festival film if I've ever seen one. It's artsy exploitation. Like uh, this is festival horror and oh, right. low, low if, budget. What, what did the audience think of the film? Um, like, they really getting immersed. I think so. The people I was with, um, that I saw it with, they were, yeah. It was like we we all just kind of sat around in the theater just like because we kind of had to just let a little bit of air out of the balloon a little like let a bit of air out of the balloon a little <laughs> bit because we were just like. It was so intense, and yeah, it's like watching a wire, like watching something get tighter and tighter, mm. yeah, like watching a piano yeah. wire get tightened and tightened, yeah, waiting for it to for snap, it snap, and it never really happening. It's just that it's well, also this if film. It, if the wire never snaps. How would the how is the climax? Is the, the climax satisfying? You don't have to tell me. I think what it happens. is. I will say this film has probably one of the best final scenes of a film ever. Some might think it's a bit anticlimactic, and it has one of the best final lines of dialogue in a film I've heard in quite a while. Mm. But I, I can see why people might not like this film. But well, I, I mean, I'm really interested. It's the only film that I saw at the Sydney Film Festival where there wasn't a round of applause after it, which was <laughs> weird. That's fantastic, actually. I think people were just like, I don't think we can do it. <laughs> well, it's, it's good because then you don't know what they think. It's yeah, it's, I, it's I great when the when the when the audience just behaves abnormally because like remember when we watched my friend Dorman you're like yeah oh, you, 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 you were which we people. didn't really which well, I was kind of lukewarm on I thought oh, it was I mean, just not very good I thought it was pretty I don't know I wasn't that into it I, I didn't really like it that much it was a pretty forgettable film but you mm. know people clap clap to that and you you're like wondering why they clap because you you're I think at the time you were very disappointed in it yeah because I I heard it was going to be good. Like I thought it was going to be great, and it just wasn't. That's that's really good. Just, just just no clapping. It's just you either want no clapping, or you just want like w like walkouts of people to boo this. The, the I, I didn't I didn't see any walkouts, but I think everyone was just like, okay, we just need to just come down from this a little bit. Just 
let that marinate a little bit. Just let that. Mm. Let's just come down from what we just saw. But yeah, piercing. Uh, my review. It's been sent. It's pending. Uh, hopefully, it will be up on moviebabblereviews.com. I've done a full written review. Hopefully, it will be up online when this episode is out. So, if you want more detailed thoughts on that, uh, please go read that. But I, I love this movie the more I think yeah. about it. And I cannot wait to see it again. Hopefully, it's playing in Melbourne. Or hopefully, it gets some kind of... I don't think this will get a theatrical release. I think this is more of a... Definitely a vi- video on demand. Or, like, this is something that, like, Amazon Prime would pick up or something like that, I think. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a great little thriller that has much more on the surface than what it appears to have okay the next film we're going to talk about and the one that i saw on the saturday morning no sunday morning uh when i was at the sydney film festival um a film that uh, the film that was on before this i now am pissed off that i missed because i've heard amazing things about it it's the documentary called three identical strangers which i desperately want to see now it's about these Mm. three uh, these two men who uh these two young men who meet each other at college and they see that they look exactly alike and they find out that they're twins. <laughs> and and then this other guy who finds this thing in the paper says like, hey, there's two guys in the paper that look exactly like me. Holy shit, we're all triplets <laughs> that were all separated at birth. And it's just the story of like what actually happened, like why they got separated at birth. And I've heard it is just fascinating. A little annoyed I missed out on that. Had I known more about it before going to see it, I absolutely would have. But I went and saw The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is the uh, Grand Jury Prize winner at Sundance this year. And I don't quite think it lived up to the hype. Uh, This film is the... uh, If you don't know, this film is about a girl named Cameron Post, who is played by Chloe Grace Moritz, who is a lesbian. And she is caught by her, like, born-again evangelical aunt that she lives with because... uh, She's caught um, uh, kissing or... I can't remember if it was kissing or, like, uh, making out with, like, uh, one of the pr- like a prom queen, like, at the prom. Mm. So, her... Her aunt. hugely... Yeah, her aunt sends her to God's Promise, which is a uh, gay... A Christian gay conversion camp where um, Cameron Post lives with... Yeah, so she lives there now. Um, she's there for a while, and she makes friends with uh, two other characters. Um, one of them is played by Sasha Lane, who was in that film American Honey, and also mm. uh, Forrest Goodluck, who um, he I can't remember I can't remember the character's name. Sorry, but Forrest Goodluck played um, uh, Leo DiCaprio's uh, his Native American son in The Revenant. But yeah, th- I I was quite like this. Still, this is still a pretty good film though. I just think it was a little bit overhyped. I think the performances are very good. Um Chloe Grace Moritz is good as always. Um John Gallagher Jr., who uh, you might remember as the only other person the only other person that was in 10 Cloverfield Lane that's not John Goodman or Mary Elizabeth oh, Winstead. The, yeah. The guy that gets um dissolved in a vat of acid. Him. Shit, I can't remember what happens in that film. Okay, well, spoiler <laughs> He's, yeah, so yeah, John Gallagher Jr., he was in 10 Cloverfield Lane, and I think he was on some TV show, which I can't remember. But yeah, he plays like one of the like the camp counsellor, essentially, at the uh, at this conversion camp. And um, he's easily, by far and away, the most interesting character in this film. Why is that? Um, well, his backstory as well, like his sister runs the thing, because and mm. like she created it because he was gay. Oh, right. And, so like, he's one of the converted... Yeah, so he yeah he he's the prime example of what can happen, mm. and yeah he's easily the most interesting character. And like Jessica um, Earl, I think it's Earl who plays his older sister who runs it. 
yeah, she is really good in this film and she is quite evil. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of people have like compared this to like a very kind of more lighthearted One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in a way too. It, like what, in that aspect, that and like, well, just, I think they've just, with, I think with just her character, they've compared her to Nurse Ratchet. Like oh, she's a nurse, ra- a nurse Ratchet type. But yeah, um, I found with this one that the uh, group dynamics and the way that like the certain the groups of characters interact were so much more interesting. But the actual individual characters themselves were quite underdeveloped and should have been explored more. And this film is quite short. The pacing does drag a little bit. It's only like ninety minutes. And uh, also, I forgot to mention, uh, this is also a period piece. It's set in the early 90s as well. Mm. And you can tell because um, there is a sing-along to um, Fawn on Blondes, What's Going On, in this film too, which is a pretty good scene, yeah. Mm. But yeah, I I still think it's a fine film. Uh, It's quite overrated, I think, though, but it's still... How do you think it handles the subject matter of uh, homosexuality and conversion or what? Well, it it does depict... Well, also, this film is made... Desiree Akavan, the director of this film, is gay. Mm. So, it's interesting. I don't know if she's actually ever spent time at a gay conversion camp or, like, did research for this. Um, but uh, it's it depicts especially, the like, the evangelical Christians as freaking nutcases. Mm. Like, the, some of the shit that they talk about and they believe... Like, and they, they go into, like... I, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure... I, I don't know if this is a... I'm, I think this would be a fairly realistic interpretation of what actually would happen at a Christian uh, homosexual conversion camp. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm... Th- I think a lot of them are... Because go- uh, we okay. don't really have experience of those over here. No, I, I don't, really there's exist. not too many here, no. Yeah. Uh, they, they exist, but I don't think there's too many. But mm. yeah, it's just like... Just watching this entire thing and like the abuse that these, these uh, children cop at this... Uh, at this conversion camp is like, how is any of this legal? Like, how are they able to run prob- something like this? I mean, this? it probably isn't, but if it's a highly... I uh, think some Christian of them, because state, they... Ch- they because could probably get away with it. I think some of them... Because of their influence over the mm. people, the populate, majority of the population there. Yeah. I mean, I still think it's worth watching. It's not a terrible film in all means. It's, I wouldn't even call it a bad film. It's good. I just didn't find didn't it. You think it was great. No, I was... It's probably actually my least favourite film that I saw at the festival, to be quite honest. Like, that, but that's the good thing. That just, it just tells you the calibre of films that I saw at the, fi- at the film festivals anyway. Did you see anything that was considered... You no, no. Everything bad. that I saw was either good or great. Okay, that's good. And even even though, as I said, this is probably my least favorite film of the festival, this is still about a seven out of ten. So it's still a very competent. Film yeah. Oh, then. absolutely. Yeah, mm. I would recommend it. Uh, just uh, don't just lower your expectations a bit. Mm. All right. The next film I'm going to talk about is one that has been cursed. This is the cursed film. It's legendary for how cursed this film is. There, if you want to know how cursed this film was, this is a, this film is coming out this year. There was a documentary made 16 years ago about the failed production of this movie. <laughs> I know what you're so, talking about. Yeah, this film is Terry Gilliam's film that he has been trying to get made for nearly three decades, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Now, sorry, just to interrupt, uh, please do not spoil anything that you consider a light spoiler because I just want to go into this film. And knowing absolutely nothing. Blind as I can. Okay. So, I'll I'll just say, this film, it's been trying to get made for a very 
very long time. Oh, yeah. And this is a cursed production. Like, I'm pretty sure. I can't it's really, not it just a cursed production, f- but it's also his passion project. It was his, his passion, passion project. Because this is essentially a modern retelling of the classic Don Quixote story. Hmm. And this time around, like, because they've had different actors, like Johnny Depp was going to play the Adam Driver character in this movie. Um, like, and then that production, I'm pretty sure the, because there is the documentary, the documentary made in 2002 about that, that failed production is called Lost in La Mancha, which I really want to seek out now. But, uh, yeah, and there's also, when they've tried, I'm pretty sure either a flood or a hurricane destroyed the set, I'm pretty sure. And also, when they tried to get this made, uh... Uh, John Hurt was originally going to be uh, was going to be Don Quixote, and then he passed away. And now, eventually in the film, I'm pretty sure Michael Palin was also going to be doing it at one point. But also now, Jonathan Price is Don Quixote in this movie. And but I want to talk about the plot. But one of the plot descript the plot description has actually changed since since oh, then. So go, go. Go with the old plot description. Alright, so the old plot description says that Adam Driver plays... I cannot remember his character's name, but he's an advertising director who made a student film who returns to, the, to, returns to like rural Spain where he made a student film called The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And while making this commercial, he bumps into... Uh, he ma- magically travels through time to... F the 15th century where he meets Don Quixote who's played by Jonathan Price and he is told oh, no no um Adam Driver is mistaken for Sancho Panza who in the book or in the novel of Don Quixote is his, his sidekick his sidekick essentially the, well he he's the one that accomplishes his squire he's essentially the squire yeah. that accomplishes all the great things that Don Quixote was uh, credited for uh, essentially yep and also this production is still cursed because Amazon dropped release for this film so this film may never ever get released and terry gilliam also lost the rights to this film oh christ so this film just cannot catch a break so it is playing at the melbourne film festival again this was the surprise closing night film at Cannes film festival i swapped my tick like i was originally going to be seeing the uh olivia wilde uh action um like revenge drama a vigilante which, but then when I found out the mountain who killed Don Quixote was a late announcement after the Cannes Film Festival to the Sydney Film Festival, I swapped my tickets because I had to see this. I had to go all the way out to Randwick in uh, Sydney, which is it's about thirty minutes by bus from the city centre of Sydney. And this film is really, really good. Was like, it, well it was. Worth it? I bet it would have been. I, I definitely think would have so. wanted. I, I really want to watch The Man Who Killed Don Quixote just, just because, as, as you said, there's that possibility that it may never get a DVD release. So you might only be able to catch it in cinemas. And I'm not too sure how the, the if it would even get a theatrical release over here. Yeah, I'm honest. not sure. I'm absolutely not sure. I'm pretty sure a French distributor currently has the rights to this film. So Well, that's that should be good news, I hope. Yeah. But I just want... Adam Driver, he is just becoming one of the... he. If he's in a film, it's a mark of quality. I think it's starting. If Adam Driver is in a movie, you know it's going to be good. Yeah, I mean he's he's doing quite well for himself, Adam Driver. I mean he was even in that Ginger Mush film. Patterson. Uh, Patterson. Uh, what else has he done recently? That's well, he's in Black Klansman. Oh yeah, well, Black. Klansman he's in one of my favorite films uh, of all time, Midnight Special. Oh yes. As Adam Sevier, the NSA agent. I yeah, should not remember that, but I do because I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's doing some he's, he's doing some great stuff. 
He's and will for himself. He's not just the, the villain he, from the Star Wars. He, he, plays, he plays such a dick in this movie, too. It's great. And oh, if, if you want to see a movie where Adam Driver sings a show tune, see, me, see the man who killed Don Quixote. Well, okay. If, you, if you're going to tell me what the new description is, is it close to what the film actually is? Or? Nowhere near. Did, okay. Well, give so the, the new description, this is it. There is no time travel. None whatsoever. So what happens? This is the new description. So, same thing. Adam Driver is this ad director who made his student film, who returns to rural Spain to shoot this commercial. The same, It's the same town where he shot his student film, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And uh, during while his stay at, his, at this new rural, uh, in, this, in this town in rural Spain, he comes across the man who he cast as Don Quixote, this peasant shoemaker, who now he sees, like, I think this is like 20, I think like 10 years later, this man is convinced that he's the real Don Quixote. <laughs> and he mistakes, he mistakes, um, he, he mistakes Adam like, Driver for Sancho Panza. You know, he sounds like bloody Daniel Day-Lewis, who was also a cobbler <laughs> and a method actor. <laughs> oh, Daniel Day-Lewis as Don Quixote. <laughs> son, oh. As good as Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price, Jonathan Price is great Jonathan at playing Price, sad old men. Oh, you, Jonathan Price just works very well with uh, Gilliam's films. Mm, like Brazil? Like, like Brazil. I can't instance. name I any others, very, but... <laughs> I think it's very fitting. Oh, he's probably been in something else. I can't remember. Uh, no, can't. Yeah, so essentially, yeah, so this Don Quixote, because, yeah, he's so he's essentially the, the Don Quixote, who mm. Jonathan Price plays, is a peasant shoemaker who, after being Don Quixote in Adam Driver's film is now convinced that he's the real Don Quixote. <laughs> and, like, he mistakes him for Adam Driver and he drags Adam Driver on this quest, on, like, this fake quest throughout rural Spain. And it is so good. I love this film. I cannot wait to see it again. I will try and see it again at MIF because I am honestly scared that I will never get a chance to see this film again. It does get very weird kind of Terry Gilliam towards the end and it's all throughout but yeah i don't really want to say too much more because now that i've told you what it's really about there is a trailer online uh watch the trailer but the trailer's um text is in spanish i think because there has not been an english language trailer oh no no the the trailer is in english language but i think all of the text is in spanish or french so yeah the man who killed don quixote if you can see this the film that has been cursed the film that is a castaway from development and production hell (laughs) It was worth the nearly 30-year wait. It's a really great movie. I don't. Th- I think it has got quite a mixed response, and I can kind of see why, but I would highly recommend going to see this film. I mean, it's, a, it's almost a must-see just because of how just the production history is just that interesting. So I'm definitely interested to watch it. It's probably the, mm. one of my most anticipated films to watch at Myth. And also try and seek out the documentary of the failed early, the earlier failed production of The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, which I believe is called Lost in La Mancha from 2002. Mm. And the next film I saw was quite a bit of a rapid change of pace. The next film I saw was a dialogueless, narrationless, uh, Lithuanian nature documentary called The Ancient Woods. Now, I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but this film is a dangerous film to watch when you're um, 10 films deep in a film festival and you're very tired on a Monday morning. Why? Did you find it boring? Not boring. It was just so relaxing and so peaceful. And when you're really tired, that is a dangerous combo. 
Especially, like, in the best of circumstances, if you want to go to sleep, that's good. But, like, I was... It was weird. I was entranced by the beautiful images and just watching nature run its course on screen. Well, it's but great I was that like, you watched oh, a peaceful so tired. Uh, it's, it's really well... Sh- and because the director was also there and how he actually filmed it. And he filmed this film over about 12 years. Oh. Like, it is fascinating. And, like, watching him talk and, like... Sounds like a Philip Glass project. He I do not know who that is, but... Oh, like, Koyana Squatsy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. You've yeah. talked about that in previous episodes. A mm-hmm. uh, little plug, go back and listen to previous episodes if you want to hear Eric talk more about those. Yes. But, yeah, this is a fascinating, fascinating film because it's also... You get to see these incredible animals and, like, one of the best parts of this film, like, the, just the no, just the patience that this filmmaker would have to have because mm. like, this was his passion project, I would just be like, I would I would try to intervene with like and try to force the animals to do something just to. <laughs> but yeah, this this guy has incredible patience and it pays off because so some of the how stuff. How do you think this would fare against Link Lattice, uh, uh Boyhood, which was also took twelve years to make? Well, here's the thing: this one's only eighty-one minutes long. That's <laughs> and yeah, this film is as you would expect, very slow-paced. Um, and this was an all-ages screening as well. And um, thank you to the little 10-year-old next to me who was giving me a running commentary on everything that was happening throughout the entire film. Thanks a lot, mate. Well, it was the, so the imagery was entrancing. It was dialogueless. Uh, what were you able to sort of uh, uh, grasp from the film other than just pretty images? Uh, and, and maybe soothing sounds? I don't know. I think it was... It's. You probably I'm not quite sure. You were too I, I, I think I need to give this another watch. I do think it is worth watching. I think this is like the perfect film for like a like a JB Hi-Fi or some electronics store to like show on all of the TVs. That would be <laughs> perfect. And also, yeah, like what, listening to the director explain how he got some of these certain shots and how like he had like how he kind of had to almost invent new cam like invent like these new camera like um, setups oh, to. God get these certain shots it was I, I can't remember any off the top of my head but it was just fascinating to listen to um yeah if you can, can seek out the ancient woods it's it's an interesting watch just uh don't watch when you're tired unless you're trying to go to sleep it's very very soothing very relaxing film and then the last film i saw at the film festival which i've well, we already talked about you were never really here but i saw the film that won the uh, director the Grand Prix, the director's Grand Prix, is that the f- award at Cannes? I'm not sure what Grand. Prix or the best, is. Something who won best director at Cannes, the film that won best director of Cannes, uh, Powell Pawlikowski. Oh. How do you pronounce his name? This uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to. The the, the, Pol- the Polish director that made Eda mm. is who, who we're talking about, and um, so I saw his new film, which won which he won Best Director at this year's Cannes Film Festival for. And this is a film called Cold War. Now, I don't really remember a whole lot from this film. I remember really enjoying it. Um, it is This is another film that is quite uh, quick as well. And this was another film that um, Adele con- uh, convinced me to go see because uh, she said she was seeing this. I'm like, what the hell is that? I looked it up and I was like, this sounds really interesting. So this is essentially a, according to Letterboxd, a Cold War love story that follows a, p- a passionate love affair between a mismatched couple. The thing it was with this, um, the Sydney Film Festival one actually had a much better description. I'll see if I can bring that up. But yeah, Paolo Pal- how do you pronounce this guy's name? I'm going to butcher Palakowski. Yeah, Paolo Palakowski. Cold War. Yeah, I think War. that's close enough. 
So this film is similar to his previous film Ida, which this film have you which have you seen? Yeah, I've seen Ida. So okay, well this film is very similar to that in that it's in black and white and it is the four by three letterbox aspect ratio. Does it have a lot of like uh, sort of cropping with the framing? What do you I mean? I had that? a lot of that. That the way that some things are framed have had like bits of the the person cut out. Like it might have um, like per- also work with quadrants as well, so it'd have like. Some shots would have a person just in the corner. No, I think... In a lot of negative space in the other three quarters of the screen. No, I think the framing's a little bit more, like, convent. There's a lot more headroom in the spa- in, in the in all the shots now, and I think it's a bit more conventional, a bit more symmetrical, I think. So oh, right. I'm not exactly sure. There you go. There's a quick little clip there, because that's a perfect thing to bring up on an audio podcast, something that's visual that you need to see. But, um... <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know how much of this is going to be caught, cut out. I'm just trying to find... You have because to just use your imagination to fill in the gaps. <laughs> or just go to the Sydney Film Festival website and here we go. So here we go. Told over 15 years, Cold War is the love story of musicians Victor and Zula who meet in the ruins of post-war Poland with different backgrounds and temperaments. They are fatally mismatched and yet are fatefully drawn to each other. Set against the background of the Cold War in the 1950s in Poland, Berlin, Yugoslavia and Paris, the couple are separated by politics, character flaws and twists of fate. An impossible love story in impossible times with a terrific soundtrack comprising of folk, jazz, classical and more. Cold War uses music to signify the passage of time and the changing relationship between the lovers. Hmm. Yeah, That's it was... impressive. So more emphasis on soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. So this, it's essentially, uh, this Zula is a student who is, like when the Cold War happens, they're all sent to this, like, essentially this music school. Hmm. And Victor, or... I can't remember if it's a Victor or Victor. Probably Victor. I think it's Victor because it's like Polish. Mm. So, uh, he's the teacher. Like he's the piano. He's the pianist in mm. the uh, for this school. And uh, yeah, these two develop a relationship, and it's so beautifully done. Um, I really need to see this movie again because I had just seen the Ancient Woods. I was so relaxed, but I was still really tired. And I just think I was f- festival fatigue had well and truly sit in, sunk in. And I'm not sure as if I could appreciate this film as... Now, uh, how does it work as a romance? Is it, is it, does the film have a... I'm curious. Does it have a rather heartwarming, nice ending? Because uh, uh, from memory of really. the ending no. of the is quite, quite cold. Yeah, the ending of this film is quite cold too. But what I really enjoyed... What, what I found fascinating about this film is that when they're apart, when these two are apart, you want them to get back together... But when they are together, they're kind of self. Yeah, they're kind of self-destructive in each other. Like they're destructive in each other's lives. So that 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 dynamic was really interesting to see. As I've said, it's really well shot. The music as well is really good. Some of it, some of the songs are repeated a little bit, and they do get a bit of grading at some points. But I, I feel like I can't really. I, I really enjoyed this film. I do have this in my top ten as well. I just can't. I think I need to rewatch it. And this is playing in Melbourne at in the Melbourne Film Festival, and I think mm. it is getting a uh, a national release on Boxing Day. So it's a fairly big wait until... and But I think this is definitely going to be an early contender for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars this year. Well, I'm definitely going to catch it at MIF because I really enjoyed Ida when I watched it. Yeah, I really want to see this again. So, yeah, Cold War, I would recommend, but don't have too much to say about it now because I'm probably going to... Here's the thing. Um, I'm probably going to do written reviews of all of these films on Movie Babble once I have seen them again. I'm going to try and I'm going to write a review for Foxtrot on Movie Babble soon as well because now that I've seen that for a second time. So 
yeah, hopefully this episode has been good, and hopefully this has in- made you interested in wanting to see some of these films because a lot of them, as I've said, all, all, nearly all of the films I saw were either good or great, or in Foxtrot's case, absolutely fantastic. Well, I mean, we could always do a, another, like, reshoot of the the Festival Fatigue films, the films that yeah, you yeah, were Festival Fatigue, so you could you could sort of do a recap on those. There's no harm in doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of like that, that, a that's, review or whatnot. That's a fantastic idea, actually. Mm. But before we wrap up, um, something that was by then maybe I might have uh, seen some of these other films as well, so I might have something to add to the conversation and just right. be the question man. Well, before we wrap up, um, something that was part of the Sydney Film Festival and that was actually showing at Acme recently was uh, David Stratton's uh, retrospective of Norwegian filmmaker? Finnish. Finnish. Finnish filmmaker, Aki Kurismaki, which yeah. you got to see a handful of films of. Do you oh, want to yeah. talk about that very briefly? I, I don't really know what to say. I mean, um, I mean, the retrospective was quite good. Um, it was good to see the copies in their nice grain, uh, besides, I think it was... Were they 35mm prints? They were 35mm prints, but there was one that was very degraded, and I think it was Fading Clouds. It was very annoying because that was the first time I ever saw Fading Clouds, and I really enjoyed that film. Uh, except the viewing experience is fucking terrible because the, uh, the, the, the for some reason the film just kept like just oh, shaking. Really? I don't know what the fuck. I don't know if the that was just the copy or the projector was fucking around with the copy. And then there was a part. There was a section where there was like no subtitles. It was really bizarre. It was like a butcher Jeez. job. Must have got a, like a terrible copy that was uh, handed to him. But uh, the I have, I didn't watch all the films in the retrospective. I think I saw um, just from memory because this is all quite a while ago. Yep. I saw Ariel. Um, I saw uh, Drifting Clouds. As I said um, Leningrad Cowboys Go America, which is a very which is a very fun, probably the most fun film to watch in the Kurismaki uh, 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 retrospective. Um, just because it's 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 entertaining and it's not really super depressing or whatever like most of his other films oh they they're usually quite uh downbeat but they have usually at the end have a like a bit of an uplifting message so it's not completely dreadful which is uh quite nice uh Kur- uh Mackie seems to do that quite well i mean uh, my friend cohen really enjoyed uh, leningrad cowboys go america because it was just fun to see these uh strange uh uh ussr um like rural um uh, band just to play these uh, these American songs and it was it was a, a lot of fun that film. Um, just trying to remember what else I saw. Um, just going after. So does Kurismaki have quite a large body of work? Uh no, I think he's under twenty films. Oh, okay. I've seen qu- I've seen and quite th- a few films. They what they didn't have there. Uh, well, they didn't have his latest film. That's the, the other side, other of, side hope. of hope, which I've heard yeah. good things about, and I think that was Finland's uh, official entry to best foreign language film uh, last year. I mean, year, I, I really enjoyed that film from last year. Uh, they did, pl- they did play La Javier, which was the film that he made before The Other Side of Hope, which I saw before, which I didn't actually see the retrospective. But La Javier is actually a successor to The Bohemian Life, which I unfortunately missed. Okay, what would be because. Um, um, He's not a very particularly well-known filmmaker. Uh, I he's say. not. He's not well so known. What would be his most uh, most recognized, like his most well, let's, he's, he's successful well film? In Scandinavia. Most, if yeah. you're talking Scandinavian directors, it's like you know Ingmar Bergman, mm. um, 
uh, Aki Kurismaki. I don't know who, who else would be a major filmmaker. Maybe um, Bo mm-hmm. Wittenberg or. Mm-hmm. Um, would you put? Oh, I guess no. He's more. He does more American stuff now. But like, you, you could say Thomas Alfredson. Oh yeah, you can, you can. Well, Thomas Alfredson isn't. I well, he made the snowman, so he he's going to get well, kicked out. I, of the I wouldn't f- say that he's as like because someone like Aki Kurismaki, Bill Winberg. Yeah, they're um, like they're like more auteur. Well, they're auteurs. Yeah. They've been they, they've been making films, or some of them were making films for a really long time, and they they've sort of earned their names. So, being what like, what would be Kurismaki's most notable work? Uh, to be honest, I can't really answer that with oh, okay. confidence. I would say that he's most recent most well-known work would be uh, La Javier, so um, which I'm probably pronouncing incorrectly. Other than that, maybe Leningrad Cowboys uh, okay. or well, that, Crime that and Punishment um, uh, was successful enough to give him a uh, directorial uh, career. I'm just going to... Shadows in Paradise I also saw, which is, uh, which is also a very nice little uh, romance. Awesome. Uh, sorry, I cut you off. Uh, no, what were you going to say? I was going to ask, um, because it, here in Melbourne, here at the Acme, you, you mentioned how um, some of the, uh, maybe the screenings themselves weren't that great. Did they get, um, were there decent uh, turnouts to some of these screenings, or was it just you and a couple of other people? Oh, the, the turnouts were fine. I don't, I don't, I don't know how packed the Acme screenings usually are, because I also, I think, Right after the Kurismaki retrospective, I actually got to see uh, Offert Tarkovsky's Offert, which is uh, which is quite nice. Although um, the this, the audience size didn't seem to differ much, oh, and okay. my my our friend Anton, my friend Anton, was surprised that there weren't a lot of people at Acme watching uh, the Sacrifice, All right, considering um, that Tarkovsky in the like the art house film movement, he's very well recognised. Even people who aren't sort of familiar with that movement, know who Tarkovsky is and probably would have went to go w- see his w- film out of curiosity. Would you say that the um, Kurismaki films that you saw, um, the crowds that were there, were they more or less than 30 people, would you say? Oh, probably probably 30 people on average. Oh, okay. Maybe. Uh, like, they probably uh, differ. Um, what else did I see? Well... It sounds. It sounds like I'm. I'm curious to see some of these uh film like this filmmakers like some of their work. Um, I couldn't. Oh, there's w- another one. Lights in the dusk, which I saw, which is probably the one that I like the most. But it's probably out of all the films that were shown because and my uh, my friend Anton, I think previous he watched, guest, previous guest, I think he watched all of the films with the retrospective. Uh, he said that, that was the most depressing film out of all of them because the the poor protagonist just terrible shit just keeps happening and happening and there re- really isn't much joy in uh, <laughs> lights in the dusk and there's just that little inkling of hope right at the end of the film it's it's <laughs> it's very depressing to watch sounds it's, very scandinavian it's very it's very good um i don't know if that's a scandinavian thing or not but uh i mean lots in the dusk i, I really quite enjoyed um i mean the execution is just is the execution would is something that's sort of like comedic, I guess, if if you were to look at it and compare it to sort of how contemporary films are shot. But there's sort of this all this really awkward editing where we just cut to there's a protagonist with a knife. It's just the shot holds on him for a couple of seconds. The shot cuts to a a, a criminal uh, mob boss. He's just standing there with these with these uh, goons around him. They're just looking at him for a couple of seconds, and then it cuts to the guy just awkwardly just 
bumps into him and then stabs him and then he gets tackled. Like, but but you're not <laughs> laughing. Like, just the, the the thing is that like Kurosaki sort of simulates this impending sort of doom. Like the the man was doomed at the be- at the beginning. <laughs> there was Jeez. no way that he could have succeeded with the way with, with the way the shot is just sort of sort of reinforces this in, this this impending failure that uh, some of these people keep uh, experiencing and you see that a lot with the Kurosaki in Kurosaki's films and his filmmaking uh, no worries it so- sounds fascinating like I really do want to see a couple of these I'm, I'm upset that I couldn't go to some of these screenings because mm. I had other stuff going on and that I I didn't even really know about it up in Sydney or didn't even like look into it when I was uh, up in Sydney but uh, no I'm curious to see what this um, some of this guy's work um not on a 35 millimeter print, probably on DVD oh, the 35 or 35 like millimeter prints. Good if they do a retrospective again. Just uh, you just just hope that for a, um, what was it, drifting clouds that the the copy is an absolute shit. All right. So just before we wrap up, um, the we, we've mentioned the Melbourne International Film Festival quite a bit on this episode. Uh, a few films have been named to be playing the film festival already mm. a number of which that i saw in sydney and mm. a lot of the films that played at sydney are also playing in melbourne from the films that uh, have been announced so far and the full program comes out in about two weeks from now what what really catches your fancy about the melbourne film festival uh, well so i haven't really actually had a look at the the program uh just the recently i i i remember that they were playing uh first reformed which i'm yes, very interested i'm very interested to see that I, too because as I've probably told you many times, I really like Machine Life in four chapters. I think uh, Paul Schrader is a very interesting filmmaker. I mean, he's a very good screenwriter, um, director. He's sort of up and down. I mean, it's... The Canyons! <laughs> well, he's probably made shit of films in the Canyons, which is uh, you know, rather sad. But, I mean, he's made some very interesting films. He's very fascinated with, uh, uh, I don't know, masculinity and sexuality. A lot of his early films are very strong, like Blue Collar and uh, Hardcore. Oh, Hardcore, I thought was uh, fantastic with um, George C. Scott. Um, it was just interesting to see him uh, do a film like that. Um, so that, uh, American Gigolo is quite good, uh, although uh, everything else is kind of sort of borderlines on schlocky and being bad. I mean, uh, Witch Hunt is good I, fun. I, I don't think First Reform is going to be like that, though. Oh, first reform is probably going to be, which I'm hoping, which a lot of people are claiming is up, is to be is so good that it's up at a mm. similar standard or a close standard as Mishima. And also, you've got Ethan Hawke, who is just one of the best. Mm. He's just one of the coolest people around too. He's. Uh, you know what's interesting? I noticed that first reform is actually shot in four by three, which Mishima oh, is it? was shot in four by. I'm, I'm very sure it's shot in four by three. Oh, okay. Oh, have you seen the um? Because uh, I think it's about to come out in Blu-ray in the US. Have you seen the terrible cover art for the? Uh, US Blu-ray of First Reformed? No. Oh, it looks terrible. Wait a second, I have to see this. All right, well, is there anything else? Because um, the, a bunch of films from Cannes just got announced, and uh, one that you were really keen on, uh, from what I was talking to you earlier, is um, uh, Gaspar Noé's uh, new film, Climax. Oh, yes. I mean, it was Gaspar Noé. I, I want to watch it. Uh, I don't expect it to be great. I just I expect it to be visually interesting, and I hope, I hope to God that Gaspar Noé is matured enough to make a competent film something that isn't just chaos for the sake of chaos uh the trailer Um, looks like it's pretty chaotic and yeah i mean the trailer looks chaotic but i hope it just adds up to something wait a minute don't tell me that's the fucking blu-ray trailer no that's not it no it's the just did you type in blu-ray cover this is great content for an audio podcast um but another another film that i'm really looking forward to and it is the opening night film of the melbourne international film festival what this 
No, that's not it. Oh, wow. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't know what he Are these that? just all in... Okay, yeah. It pays to be on it's this the, show, it's guys. The one that's it's that one. It's that one. <laughs> that's terrible. Yep. Just, this this poster's good enough. This is a great poster. Yeah, that's a great... The, the thing, the th- theatrical poster is fantastic for it, but the, uh, <laughs> the Blu-ray cover is fucking shocking. That's but terrible. getting to what I was eventually going to talk about, um, uh, Wildlife, Paul Dano's uh, directorial debut, is the opening night film of the Melbourne International Film Festival, which hopefully I can get tickets to the opening night gala. i got to wear a suit there, though. So I don't know if I'm going to go to that. But yeah, this film looks really, really good. Um, interested to see what Paul Dano does as a director. Um, it's got great reviews out of Sundance. It's got Kerry Mulligan, Jake Gyllenhaal, um, young Aussie actor Ed Oxenbold in it. Looks really, really good. Oh, that's that's another fi- film that I wanted to watch. Um, the Deserted by a uh, oh fuck, I'm not even going to pronounce that name, but famous Taiwanese uh, filmmaker. Can you uh, you can attempt uh, that if you want? Simon Simon Liang, Liang, Simon Liang. Yeah. I think I don't know. Oh, that reminded me of another film that I wanted to say that came out of Cannes, Burning, and Burning and Shoplifters. Uh, oh, South yes. Korean. I heard those are very popular film. um uh, films at other at Cannes. I think it was Cannes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Deserted would be interesting because I like films by this director. I like the, uh, what's it? um Goodbye Dragon in Stray Dogs. Um, Goodbye Dragon is very interesting because he sort of has had a, a love for Loxia film and it's this sort of film that's sort of showcasing the death of Loxia and sort of cinema, which is kind of sad to watch. But yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a very interesting filmmaker. And al- um, also to close um, on most anticipated for the uh, Melbourne International Film Festival, uh, at the Asta in uh, St Kilda, they are having a 12-hour Nicolas Cage film marathon. Oh, my God. They're going to be showing Mandy. They're going to show oh. Mandy. Mandy is kicking it off, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard that Face Off is going to be in there too. I think one of the other films... I, I think it's Bringing Out the Dead. I think Bringing Out the Dead is going to be there. Rollings. I think those are the films there. And I think... I think they may even be showing um, Vampire... Oh, they have to show Vampire's Kiss. They have yes. to show Vampire's Kiss. They, they have to show the craziest roles. So, yeah, from 9.30pm on a Saturday night till 9.30am, six Nicolas Cage films back-to-back. Mandy is also playing as part of the festival, but Mandy will be kicking off the... Oh, that's right. Will be kicking off the Nick the Cage-a-thon, as they've dubbed it. Is there it. anything else you wanted to do? There's so much that I want to watch i mean zama i want to watch here's the thing an elephant sitting still like that i have to watch it's four hours and the directive i don't know unfortunately yeah i heard i I heard i heard i heard things i know some people that um saw it up in sydney and they had mixed things to say about it there was things i mean i I don't know they they were too i I don't know um listen listen to um the guys of um a quick little plug for the um Film Fight Club podcast. Uh, three guys in Sydney: uh, Virat Nehru, Glenn Falkenstein, and Chris Evans, who I all met up in Sydney. Um, and hopefully, um, uh, they might they might all be coming to Melbourne for the Melbourne International Film Festival, so I can meet up with those guys again. But yeah, they talked about they did extensive Sydney Film Festival coverage, and they saw they saw pretty much almost every film at the festival. So if you want uh, extensive coverage and a whole bunch of thoughts about a lot of the movies that was that played at the Sydney Film Festival, go check out their episodes, the episodes of their podcast. Hmm. I reckon what we should do when the MIF, um, when the full MIF uh, program comes out, we should just go through and like oh, say what our picks are. We got, yeah, we got to, we got to do what our picks are. We, we'll, 
I reckon we should do that. Oh, definitely. Because, I mean, it, it's just, it's going to be sad to watch any of these films alone. So I'm always hoping that I can just drag someone along, especially if it's a good friend. It's probably going to enjoy the film, hopefully, as much as I will. Yeah, awesome. We should pretty much wrap it up there because we've been nearly at an hour and a half. So thank you, Eric. No problem, Sean. You're the best. You I know I am. Mm. <laughs> Not to be cocky, but I mean, I have been on like almost half the episodes. You know, I, I really should just, uh, on the little logo I have for uh, another bloody movie podcast, I should just like uh, Photoshop your name in underneath. Because <laughs> I, just, well, I might as just well. Just crudely Photoshop well. it like Eric. Like it doesn't, and <laughs> the background doesn't even have to fit. It could just be a different color. Oh, should, what should I do? Should I scribble out my name and have Eric t- and write Eric Tisher and like marker underneath it? <laughs> yeah, if you want. <laughs> uh, but no, he's great. He never wants to plug any of his social media, even no. though he has a Letterboxd account, which he never wants to plug. Oh, which well, it's okay. ad- admin at Anton's film, which... Um, care to explain what that is? I'm an admin for a... Uh, for a Discord server oh. <laughs> called Anton's Films. And that is the Discord server run by a uh, previous guest, Anton Chen, yes? Mm, yep, that's yeah. his uh, That's his Discord server. Do you want to plug that? Yeah, we. I'll plug that. Um, I, I don't know if I... Do I have to give the URL? The oh, oh, if the URL, just... Okay, I mean, look up on, I'm, I'm sure, look up on Discord sure for it. Just then. look it up on Discord. I'm pretty sure it should just be open, so you can just join it. Yeah, go ahead, do that. Um, if you, yeah, as I said, um, head on to iTunes or like all that. Check out a uh, Film Fight Club; they're really, really cool guys. And if you want more uh, Sydney Film Festival coverage, they did. I think they saw something like over the twelve days, they saw something crazy like forty odd films <laughs> over the twelve days, which is nuts. That's nuts. They're gonna have crazy film fatigue setting in. Like, I'm curious when they saw an elephant sitting still. Like, what? Film was that? Was well, that here's the thing. Movie? I think I think one of them, uh, I think one of them did an elephant sitting still, and then straight afterwards they saw the other four-hour film, Season of the Devil. Have you heard of that? No. The four-hour Filipino black and white rock opera, which oh, either sounds oh, like which either sounds like it will be the greatest thing ever or the worst thing ever. It could, yeah, it could be <laughs> terrible, but it sounds fantastic. It sounds mental. Yeah, but yeah. Oh, battery's about to die, so we better wrap it up. Thanks, Eric, for coming on the show. Yeah, sure uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. As we said at the top of the show, we passed a thousand plays on all the episodes across SoundCloud and across all formats. So thank you so much for listening. And if you like this, please like it on SoundCloud. Please follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a five-star review. That would be so awesome. You can read my written reviews on moviebabblereviews.com. Uh, hopefully, by the time this episode comes up, I will have a review for Piercing, which I've discussed earlier in this episode, and also Sicario, Day of the Soldado. I've also done a written review for that. Spoiler alert, it is nowhere near as good as the first one. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram, both at SeanHub underscore. You can also follow Another Bloody Movie Podcast on Instagram at a Another Bloody Movie Pod, and you can follow us on Twitter at AB Movie Podcast, and you can like our Facebook page. I think that's everything. I think I've got everything down. Follow me on Letterboxd, which is letterboxd.com, which is L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com forward slash Sean Coates. And follow me on the Stardust app. You can download that from Google Play or the App Store. Thanks, Eric, for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. And we will see you later. See ya. Bye-bye.